All right. Welcome to the next episode of Mission Control. I am your host, Alex Ivanoff, with my co-host and partner, Dave Pancham. Today, we have one of my best friends in the world, Alex Grieco, uh, on here as a guest, and very happy to have you on, other Alex. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Nice to, nice to touch base again. Dave, how are you doing, brother? Good, man. Why don't you remind us where you're, uh, where you're podcasting in from? I'm podcasting in from Argentina. I'm in San Miguel de Tucumán, which is to like maybe like four hours south of the border from like Chile and Bolivia. Um, so yeah, back down in South America. Yeah, so you're originally from Chico, California, right? Well, I'm originally from Italy. And then, yes. like, yeah, and then, like, yeah, like the business, I guess my business life did be, did begin, like, in, uh, in California, in Chico. Yeah, so for full context, uh, Alex and I have known each other around four years, I think, 2018 is when we met. Uh, and since then, because when I met you, you were in Puerto Rico, just moved from California. Then you went to Australia, lived there for a few months. Then you were in Austin, where I got to meet up with you, and you were there for a year or two. And now you're in Argentina. So tell us, like, you know, we were talking about this last time we talked, like, you've, you've done a lot of traveling, and now you're happy to kind of finally, like, settle down. You're living with your girlfriend, where she's from Argentina, Juliana. Uh, how did all that come about, all that traveling? Because that kind of makes me sick to my stomach thinking about how many times you have to move. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's actually, it's not um, as glamorous, I think, because most people, like, make it seem to be, like, working and traveling at the same time, especially if you want to build, like, a solid business foundation. It's really, really helpful to have, like, your home base, like, get, get locked in into your routines. For me, um, I did my first year in business in Chico, and then I never really thought of, like, traveling or anything like that. But then there was, like, the Puerto Rico Tax Advantage, Act 20, Act 22, where you become a Puerto Rican resident, um, and you pay, like, very low capital gains taxes, very low income taxes. And so um, I was like, okay, yeah, let me, um, let me try that. And I pretty much said, you know, with Kyle, um, the business partner I had with uh, Blue Fox, who we decided to just move to Puerto Rico. And then that kind of like created the spark for us to, to really like understand that you could travel and work at the same time. You don't need that proximity with a client to actually make it work as long as you're delivering the results. And then after that, we went to Australia. We worked inside a wellness center because we were working with wellness centers. And we did that for about three months, um, came back, and that's how we actually developed our product, right? After Puerto Rico, traveling was part of how we were going to, you know, develop our offer and product. Um, and yeah, after that, now in Argentina, it's more like, you know, I'm doing consulting and uh, um, helping various businesses that way. Yeah, that's awesome. So taking it back to, you mentioned Blue Fox Media, that's how we met. Um, what was like the coming about story for Blue Fox Media? You know, I think you're, you have a past life in finance, which I honestly don't even know too much about because we haven't talked about your past career in finance a whole lot. Um, but I, you know, obviously you were very talented and I think you, you ran a hedge fund as well. Um, but how did you go from that into uh, starting up Blue Fox Media, taking on Kyle, uh, our mutual friend Kyle as a partner, and then, you know, getting to where we were a couple months ago or a couple of years ago when we started working together. Yeah. So how it developed. Uh, um, yeah. To, to make it simple, it was really like out of necessity. I needed um, a source of income. 
and I didn't want to get a job or they here, let's restart there. Um, so it came out of necessity. Um, I, I didn't really want to get a job. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and have my own business. And um, I needed to pay rent, right? And so I needed to find a way to do it. What I did, I created a local Instagram page called Chico I Love You, where I would go and promote businesses for free. And the page started growing organically really, really fast. Right. Like we we got to a point where we had 2000 locals on our story on a daily basis. And the town only had like, you know, 100,000 people residents. So it's like a good percentage. If you think about it, like it, it was a lot of value that we brought to the business. And that was how I got started, you know, in the digital marketing space. The transition from finance was actually really simple. I started consuming content in finance and somehow that spiraled into Gary V. And Gary Vee kind of like moved me into the digital marketing space with the Chico I Love You account. And then Chico I Love You became my acquisition channels for local businesses. So I would pretty much reach out to a business, let them know that I have like, you know, 6,000 followers, 2,000 that which on a daily basis. If they want to like partner together to do a free video and they say yes. We do the video and then I schedule a follow-up meeting and that's when I sell the services. So that's kind of how like um, I got into the digital marketing space. And then from there it took off, right? Cause you, you started doing like the, I remember the Chico, I love you. And you kind of did a, a couple other markets, I believe. Mm. And then you started doing a retainer model in different niches. And I think you guys were very general at the beginning. Uh, you took on a couple of chiropractors, a couple of wellness centers, and then you niched into uh, float therapy, which yeah. a lot of people don't even know what that is or how that works. I didn't, uh, for sure. I, you know, I had no idea how float therapy worked back then. Mm -hmm. I'm super happy I discovered it from you, but you know, talk about that transition as well, going into maximum floats. Yeah. So, um, uh, running a general agency, at least in my experience was very, um, was challenging from the results side of things from the acquisition side. It was fairly simple because, you can just go to any business and, you know, try to sell them your service. But when it came to the fulfillment and the delivery of the service, you weren't able to kind of build on past experiences. Your expertise only like was much of the time, very surface level. Cause if you work with a restaurant and then you work with a chiropractor, unless you really are Jay Abraham, that you like, you have like this depth of knowledge that you understand like acquisition and marketing, like to the very root. If you're like surface level, there's always going to be somebody that is specialized that it's going to deliver better results than you. And so that was the philosophy on why we niched. It was let's become an expert, experts or something specific. And then like, we're going to be able to deliver a better service because that was one of the reasons we had like pretty high churn as well. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, maximum floats. So. That's really, once you guys got into the, um, to the flow therapy centers and really niching down, like, obviously it was a smaller market, but you guys were probably the only, if not, you know, the, the biggest for sure, uh, agency and, you know, provider of different services to the flow therapy uh, industry. Um, and that's eventually, once you guys found your success, you started teaching other agency owners, you started getting into other business ventures. Um, you know, it was very successful for a couple of years. Um, that's eventually how I got to meet you and started working with you guys a year or two later. 
Um, Dave, have I ever told you the story of, of how I actually like linked up with Alex and, and Kyle and got into like their, their world and their community? Uh, the only story that I think I know of is, did you meet him through like a Ty Lopez program or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, anyone that's listening to the show, uh, you've probably heard me say before, uh, Ty Lopez is like my entry into the agency space and the whole marketing world. And that's kind of why I'm here today. Uh, it was the same for Alex, who was lucky enough to meet Ty uh, a couple times after being like one of his most successful students. Um, Alex is just a killer in terms of taking action. So um, you were like, once you started, I think you just really took action and, you know, catapulted your business really quickly uh, above all the other students that were doing, you know, whatever they were doing in that program. And so I remember to this day, I was at my internship in college. I was 21 years old and uh, I was running my agency for already a year at that point, not knowing absolutely like anything that I was doing. I was just like kind of like a chicken with its head cut off running around trying to find business or trying to learn marketing. Um, Really like, five times less of an entrepreneur than I am today. And so uh, I see Alex's post in a Facebook group. I think it was Ty Lopez's Facebook group where he's looking to give uh, away like some of his advice to other agency owners at the time. And uh, I still remember vividly, I saw this post and it said, book a call with me. And um, Alex was just like, what I thought was just like giving away like all of his secrets for free. And like, I was like, this is perfect. Like I, 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 it sounds like, you know, that glorified like value ad that I was looking for and someone that could really help me. Uh, and then I get on a call with Alex and he runs me through exactly his background with maximum floats and everything they've done successfully in the agency space. And I'm just thinking like, this is exactly what I need. I need a community. I need someone to kind of help me get going because um, I felt like I like didn't really know how to take this from like a one person project to an actual business. And uh, at the end, he pitched me on this program that they uh, were developing, which was called the Agency Mentorship Elite, which ended up being, I think, like 200 or 150 different entrepreneurs uh, in, in this program or something like that. And uh, I still remember to this day, man, the hardest decision I've ever made in my life to this day. It was an $1,800 program to join. Um, and I sat there talking to Alex. I was like, Hey, I want to do this. I, I, I don't know how I can come up with the money. I probably had $3,000 in my bank account. I'm not even kidding you. Um, I was, you know, a junior in college. I had no idea like how I was going to like make up this money if I didn't like turn it into something with the business. Right. Um, I remember I even asked my parents and I don't ever really ask my parents for financial advice. I asked all my friends, you know, what should I do? Should I sign up? Um, Alex put me on a payment plan, all this stuff. Uh, and I was sweating over this decision. Eventually I made the decision. I joined the program. I got to meet Alex. I got to meet his partner, Kyle. Uh, I eventually met my, uh, future partner in this program and within a year, uh, grew to be one of the bigger agencies in the niche that I had at the time. And I still kind of, uh, attribute a lot of my success and my path from that one call I had with Alex Greco, it was probably exactly around four years ago now. So just want to say thanks, Alex. Uh, and I don't know if you know how crazy of, and, and difficult of a decision that was for me at the time, but, um, you know, I'm super happy that I made it and, you know, it's put me on a great path. So crazy story. Uh, and yeah, I'm just super happy about it. <laughs> yeah, man. I remember, I remember the Amex card that I would get. <laughs> Every month manually, I had like a book with all this card. And it was like Alex Ivan. I think it was two hundred dollars a month. 
like nine months. Yeah, or like yeah I remember we came up with a deal because you just wanted to, to get me in. And I was like, I don't know if I can pay the 1800 up, up front. I was like, I have this new Amex card I just opened. Pretty sure I put it on like a zero interest new Amex card. And we just came up with like a $200 a month payment for like nine months or something or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and you were like, yeah, I'm going to bill it manually. You were texting me. I remember I still had your phone number saved. You were sending me all these like testimonials because you really wanted me to get in. And um, I felt like I was being like really like uh, hard sold. Right. But uh, I'm, I'm happy at the end of the day, looking back four years ago, like that, that I actually enrolled and got to meet everybody and learn so much from you guys. It was a great program. And um, anyways, fast forward to, I think two, two and a half years later, two years later, um, I was on my own post COVID. I was figuring out what I want to do next. And you and Kyle hit me up and you're like, Hey, we need some help with some stuff on maximum floats. We're growing. Um, I helped out part-time ended up being full-time. Um, we grew the agency to a really, uh, crazy level pretty quickly, uh, with the new program you guys came out with and yeah, maximum flows was a lot of fun. And then, uh, we kind of all went and did our own thing after we reaped the, the rewards of that success. But now you, I think right after that success started to happen, you moved to Argentina, you met Juliana, your girlfriend, uh, she runs Bruna. And that is a yeah. shoe brand, a boutique shoe brand in Argentina. So I want to hear a little bit more about that because that's really what we have you here for today is the success of Bruna and also with what you're doing right now in wildfire marketing. But um, hearing about you know a brand from South America is obviously very rare, a successful one nonetheless. So uh, tell us about that and you know how Juliana got into this and, and you know how you got into being the marketer of the brand. Yeah, so um, I met Juliana. She already had a business. We met in the U.S., right? So the business was pretty much on pause. She started before coming, going to the U.S. So it was a, a kind of a long pause. It was like a year and a half. But she was able to grow her business organically. Never really done ads. She would post, interact with followers, that sort of stuff. Was able like to get the business going. When I moved back to Argentina, um, we actually, Alex, we had we developed the ads together, yeah. right? We actually sat down for like two hours and we like built out the ads. Um, and then I told her, it's like, look, like the, the, the way to build like the business and scale it here rapidly is going to be paid media. Like that's what's going to get us like the best results. And she was all on board for it. And then she asked, well, how much is it? And I was like, well, we can start like low. We can start with like $50 a day and like, Get started there and then $50 a day just so you guys get things into perspective in Argentina like the average salary is like $500 a month $600 a month uh, so it, it's kind of a big ask so she was definitely on edge but you know I guess like we were able to build enough credibility that it's like okay we know what we're doing and so we got started and the cost per acquisition were like fairly ridiculous I don't know if it's because there's not a lot of competition in Argentina or not but um, we started with $2 CPAs. Uh, then it started like going to $3 CPAs. Um, we started playing around with the ads to going from like localized ads to like nationwide and focusing on dynamic creative and on the higher sellers of the inventory that she had. And that's kind of um, how the how the business started scaling, right? Like she was still doing the, the organic side of things, but on top of that, she was getting like a hundred or something followers each every, every day just from the ads. So right off the bat, when you started doing paid ads, you guys are getting like 20 sales a day, 
Yeah, around 20 sales a day. Um, yeah, that's that's accurate. What was she averaging before that, before coming in and just doing it organically? Well, um, before the business was on pause, it's been on pause for like a year and a half because she was like in the US, but she was selling maybe like 20, 30 pairs on the weekend. Like just on the weekend, like she had like uh, people coming to her house and she would sell it. Have them try it on like very old. She wasn't digital at all. Basically. No, not on the, she didn't have a website or anything like that. No. Yeah. And you, uh, you mentioned when we got started, we were getting like, yeah, I remember it was like $2 cost per purchase uh, on our ad campaign. The CPMs I remember were probably like 70 cents, uh, you know, an American currency. Um, Ridiculous. And yeah, it, it was just really nuts. The click through rate was really high. The cost per click, I think was like one or two cents. <laughs> like these, these are numbers that even like early days of Facebook in the US, you would never see. Like I, I bet you when Facebook started, you probably weren't even getting like five cent clicks and we were getting like a fifth of that. And yeah. so the numbers were just absolutely bonkers. And I remember we actually started like $10 a day for like four days. And then we saw the metrics and we're like, all right, we got to put 50 bucks a day into this at least. Oh, um, yeah. And we started doing a, a lot of retargeting because she had an email list built up over the years. Um, and then because the CPNs were so low, like you said, Alex, in the Argentinian market, she was getting so many impressions, right? Probably like, I don't know, I don't even know what the math is, but it was like 40,000 impressions a day or something like that off of like 50 bucks. It was something nuts, right? And so that was helping her not only get followers, but get emails, which we did retargeting based on people that were viewing the page and retargeting based on the emails. So a lot of the audience, even though there was low competition and I don't know how many people live in Argentina, but it was probably like, I think we were targeting like a 6 million person audience. A lot of the targeting that we're doing was also warm and you know hot audiences as well, based on the traffic that she was getting. So that was like one of the main things that stood out to me. I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I'm looking at the CPM first. That's the top of the funnel metric. And so the CPM was so low, it allowed us to leverage our budget in many different ways and continue just like that, that money cycle of, of basically printing money. So it was pretty, yeah. pretty awesome to, of a feeling to get started on that. A lot of the sales come through WhatsApp. Like girls would go on WhatsApp and make sure like, they're able to get the shoes that they want, that they receive the money, like the, when they're going to receive the shoes and that sort of stuff. So a ton of business gets done through WhatsApp. Conversation starts on Facebook with a Facebook ad, and then a ton of sales moves into WhatsApp. Yep. And yep. so when you say a $2 cost per acquisition, what was in, in US currency, what was like the average order value or just an average shoe pair price in US dollars? that just to just to understand what the margins were 25 to 30 dollars so she was selling a 25 30 dollar pair of shoes and paying two dollars to get a customer and what was the average like or what is the average margin on the shoes themselves gross margin she, like she's uh, um we put a fixed margin where she would make 15 dollars per pair and that was an agreement All, with the manufacturer yeah, so it would be like the $15 would be like the margin that we get to work with. So say she bought the shoes for 15, we sell it for 30. And then on that profit, that operational profit that she has, we will need to take off um, the ads and like her paying and like that sort of stuff. But yeah, um, she pretty much double um, what she would pay for it to resell. So on a per unit basis, just so we're breaking down the math, 
basically any cost per acquisition under $15 was profitable. Um, any cost per acquisition under $15, yeah, was profitable. If you, maybe you say like, um, a little bit more, if you include like softwares like Zapier and that sort of sure. stuff, but yeah, around that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, and so just to give context, cause Alex, we started those ads probably 18 months ago. Uh, how much has the cost per acquisition gone up since we started? We're about $4 now. <laughs> so you're still at $4. You still got $12 of wiggle room uh, per unit. So yeah, very profitable still. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. And the ads are the exact same. So the campaign, I mean, the ads are not the same. Um, the campaign is the same. The creative assets get changed when the new season comes out, new shoes come out. But we just ran the same campaign that we set up together like over a year ago. And we just like let it like let it keep acquiring data and doing whatever um, Facebook is doing best, right? It's just making sure we let it run and collects data and optimizes. Um, so she goes in, she has new new pictures. The picture, the creative that she gets that uh, you guys might have seen are um, are really good, really high quality. If some of your some of your listeners want to go to it, it's at Bruna Calzados uh, one. Um, the um not the url the handle the name of the instagram the handle yeah, yeah. um and uh, um and uh, uh yeah she just gets uh, pictures from the the manufacturers so the manufacturer they only work with uh, retailers they don't work with uh, um they only work with resellers they don't work with re- with uh, uh b2c they work b2b only so they create the creative, they give, they create the pictures and everything. So when she goes and buy the shoes, she gets the shoes, but she also gets like this library of content that she can use to market the shoes. So question here, and let me know if the, I'm, I'm assuming something here, but is it right that you probably don't have all the attribution problems that people have in the US with like iOS 14, iOS 15? Is that accurate? People have iPhones, but probably not the same amount that they have it here in the US. Yeah, maybe like, like in the US, 50% here is maybe like 20. Mm. Okay. So yeah, but we, with the attribution, we just, when we did the setup with Alex, we just did everything like the proper way, you know, verified the domain, um, added like all like uh, uh, the events in the pixel, like everything we needed to do to like make it, make the attribution as accurate as it can possibly be. So, yeah, so always have some problem with attribution, as you guys, I'm sure, have experience as well. But um, so far, it's manageable for sure. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the photography. That's something you just mentioned. Because we're, I mean, we're talking about this campaign, right? And it's extremely successful. Uh, you guys are scaling the budget up. Uh, and your cost per acquisition has barely gone up <laughs> over, over the past year and a half. Would you say that the photography and the content and the, and the product itself is super important to the marketing of the of the product and the brand because you know bruna in my opinion has some of the best product photos of any brand that i've seen uh the shoes for me i look like i I get excited when i see i feel like i want to go and buy a pair for my girlfriend you know what i mean it's like i'm not even a shoe a woman shoe guy obviously so you know what what is it that makes the campaign so successful well in my opinion the um there is the creative is really important to get your attention 
everything boils down to the offer. So how can you make an interesting uh, offer for e-commerce, right? How can you distinguish yourself from everybody else out there? A woman that is trying to buy shoes and sees the same picture or very, very nice pictures, why is she going to buy your shoes against like some other shoes? And so that was pretty much my role is understanding like how can we craft a message and an offer that is going to uh, make us much more relevant against the competition. What we did is... Um, where there's always like the main point when you have like a like a commodity like product like shoes right it's not like you can always compare it to something else so one of the biggest factors that you can play with is price so if you have a um, if you have a a shoe and you like make it like very expensive you probably need a lot of branding behind it to re to reason why it's so expensive um, so what I did is like okay how can we lower the barrier to pricing as much as possible. And here, what they do, which I'm pretty sure they have it in the U.S. as well with Afterpay, you know, this sort of like um, payment plans on smaller items, is we create a zero interest six month payment plan. It's like, hey, um, this is one of the part of the offer is get the shoes, um, say quota, so six rates of a thousand pesos, so six rates of uh, uh, five dollars or something like that. So then at the approach, it's already lower. So if you're comparing like, you know, the $30 to five rate of $5, you're kind of like lowering that barrier to getting the sale done. So that has been really helpful to have a kind of a financing partner, I'd say for, for e-commerce that you're lowering that barrier to entry. People can kind of like stretch their payment plans over a couple of months. And then another one was um, to get a discount if they pay the other way, right? So you can pay in quotas and you get a certain price, but then if you can pay with a, a bank transfer that they do mm -hmm. here, you get 20% off. So uh, that's that's another way, like they, the way that they have their tax system set out here from as much as I can understand. I'm not an accountant in the US, so you can imagine how much I understand of tax systems in like other countries. So I'm not an expert by any ways in this, but what from what I understand is there is there is some some uh, tax benefits from getting paid from the to the bank directly instead of going through a third party merchant um, tax wise and so I said we say hey pay six uh, um, six months like um, six months of fixed rates or get twenty percent off if you pay this way and all products get free shipping. So that was another thing we didn't see in like a lot of pro a lot of uh, um, products was the shipping being charged. Which to me, it's like, dude, like, why are you gonna charge? Like, Amazon, like, is gonna outbid you like every day of the uh, of the week. Like, the way they structure their offer, right? That was like kind of my my go to was like, okay, let's look at the best e commerce place in the world. What is their customer experience like? And so, um, yeah. It's free shipping, so it's free shipping, 20% off if you purchase like this way, and then, or you can get it like in six quotas, six rates without interest over this period of time. So I crafted that offer and I put that in the copy and also on the website so that it remains consistent. And I think that's really what helped is the fact that not only the shoe is a good quality, the creative is good, you have this like offer that, um, that makes it a bit more appeal, right? And we just run with the offer first in our in our copy. So we will see the creative, we see the offer or oh, a really good offer, and then you know they go through the website website um, 
build on WordPress, really simple, nothing, no mm -hmm. so question also in your offer, do you, did you do anything in terms of like risk reversal, like free returns as well or anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, part of our guarantee is, um, we have, um, we have free returns. So if there's any problem with the shoes or if the size is too big or too small, we will pay for the shipping back and forth, um, to make sure, you know, the client gets what, you know, what they want. Awesome. And do you see a high return rate at all or? No, not at all. I mean, kind of surprising. There is some, cause as you can imagine, like with a tire, you have to try it on before you know if you like it, right? You might get a pair of shoes from Adidas and it says it's an eight for men, but then you are nine with Nike and each brand kind of like wears different like sizes. So um, I was expecting it to get, um, to get more. Um, she gets some, but not, not a lot, you know, and now she's managing it all remotely. So um, she's just managing like the delivery guys that are, are delivering the shoes and everything. And uh, no, like not, not a big, not a big issue. Of course, a percentage is always there, but not enough to like, you know, cause concern or anything like that. I love what you did there though. Like you just looked at Amazon, the e-commerce giant of the world. And it's like, what are the things that they do? Amazon just greases the wheels to a purchase, right? Like buy now, like immediately, but looking at free shipping, free returns, like all that stuff. I think it's awesome. Definitely. And they do something similar here with the payment process. It's called Mercado Pago, where you actually have your, it's linked to your bank account where you can purchase in like two or three clicks, right? So the Amazon of Argentina is called Mercado Libre, which is like, I'm, I don't get products on Amazon here. I get them on Mercado Libre. So you guys can also like, if you're interested, go on Mercado Libre and look at like how similar they build their software um, close to Amazon, right? It's like, I think here is the number two or the number three most visited, visited website in all of Argentina. So it's like pretty much the Amazon of, uh, uh, of Argentina. And then that's, they link it to a payment method called Mercado Pago, which they do the two click purchase. And it has an integration that you can do as uh, uh, as an e-commerce um, store. So what you did, what we did is we have that integration. So when people do and pay, they can literally pay in two clicks by using the payment system that is developed by uh, Mercado Libre, right? It's like if Amazon Pay, you can put Amazon Pay on your website. It's like pay with Amazon Pay, ta ta. They know your address. They know everything. Boom, done. Yeah, one click checkout almost basically. Yeah. So. One thing I want to go back to that you'd mentioned with the offer that I think is super important to make note of, you know, we talked about the the price of the shoes. You, you mentioned earlier the average income of someone in Argentina is like 500 bucks. The price of the shoes is like equivalent of 30, 25, 30 bucks. So it's almost like what? 10% of someone's monthly income. So would, is it fair to say that like the Bruno shoes are very premium high-end shoes that relative to Argentinian economy and currency, it's a very expensive brand. It's, it's not a cheap brand. Yeah. But <laughs> it's not a cheap brand. We're yeah. hundred percent. It's not like a Gucci or a Louis Vuitton or anything like that. Not even close, but it's, um, it's a premium brand for sure. Yeah. Compared yeah. to the, so, I mean, equivalent to like the U S it's almost like someone paying like 300 bucks for a pair of shoes. Right. So it's, it's not, it's not cheap. And so, Back to the offer, those two things that you mentioned where you're doing 20% off if you pay in full or six months payments, no interest. 
that you don't you don't see that applied to you know a very cheap low ticket item typically that's not something that that brands and merchants do but what you but what you're doing in a very high ticket premium brand item is very helpful because it allows the the consumer to see this very extensive product and think okay wow i can afford that even though you know it's very there's still like moving you know mountains to try and afford it it's just they're either you know taking the discount on paying in full or they're making payments on it for six months so I'm, I'm sure that's not something that's done very often in argentina because i think i'm just starting to see it a lot now in you know the kind of like the buy now pay later space of like the klarna and afterpay and affirm and all those other you know uh payment providers that are starting to pop up here in the u.s so i think it's very brilliant what you did and it's only really applicable to a high ticket you know premium brand so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's worth testing. Like if I had another e-commerce brand, I would probably like run a similar model because it's like the American culture of buy now, pay later with credit cards and everything took a little bit longer to spill out into different cultures. Um, and we're just starting to see it here in Argentina more and more. Um, so yeah, I, I encourage people to play around with the pricing. doesn't mean to just like, you know, um, you have to do it exactly how I did it because it might not work. Um, but play around with the pricing, trying to get creative on how you can structure like payments in a way that it makes it much like easier. Um, it's an easier sales process in the fact that it's not as big of a, it doesn't seem like it's a big of a hit, right? Like you, you, gotta, you can massage the price with like, you know, incentives and uh, stretching payment plans. Yeah, we're, all of us here are students of Alex Ramosi, and we've seen him obviously play a lot with different guarantees and offers. And one of the big things from what his book and just overall his practice is he tries to sell something for 10 times of what it costs. So he's always looking to raise prices rather than lower prices. And, you know, if you can establish yourself, establish yourself as a premium brand, you're all you got to do is just find that right offer, find the right creative. And, you know, you're going to have a very profitable business uh, at scale. So um, I think that's good advice. Yeah, and I, I think uh, as entrepreneur, we kind of have that uh, a negative trait that uh, a lot of us lack patience when you have an offer. You're like, you want to put your hands in it. Like once it starts working, it's like, oh, I can add this, I can add this. Or if you could just let it run, it just it works for like a very long time. And that's another thing that has been helpful with Bruna is you just got to find one winner once. And that winner can run like for a, for a longer time that you might expect, right? Like the the Hermosi offer, the six week um, body transformation. One, they're still running it. And I think it's been running for like six years, and it still works. And so it's like as a marketer, you're looking at it. Ah, no, we need to come up with something new because you know, like the market wants something new. It's like I don't know if like how true is that. Usually, like we tend to. Um, under like underestimate like how much how long we can stretch an offer and so when we do find a winner i'd say like just run with it for for as long as you can you know um once your cpa goes a wires instead of changing the offer change the creative change you know change the copy the messaging if that offer has worked for a considerable amount of time the problem is for, it's very likely not the offer it's very likely like your messaging and your creative and just like, you know, playing with that will, will revive the offer and, and you know, you'll have another leg. 
Yeah, yes, yeah, so for sure. So we got a lot of gold here. So we got, you know, play with your pricing and be able to find a good offer, make yourself a premium brand. Once you have it, stick with it. Don't abandon it if start, things start to go, you know, down south and you know, play with your creative and you know, the wrapping of the offer. Uh, what other advice do you give, particularly to brands that are, let's say a North American brand that we've seen how lucrative the international market can be based on whatever it is, the CPMs are low, right? Uh, let's say they're trying to go into international markets like Argentina. What advice do you have for them uh, as they're as they're looking to kind of expand and go global? Well, I think like if if I were to like come into Argentina, the first thing that I would do is find a, a local partner or find somebody that already knows the market, so that it can kind of cut your your mistakes and the time that it's going to take you to to set everything up. So that's would be like the first thing I would do. Find somebody already understands the market so they can kind of like like guide you through all the mistakes that you're going to do and all the money that you're going to like lose. And then, yeah, I think like when you're starting to do international stuff, look at the taxes on both places because it might be not profitable when you start running like, you know, international tariffs and taxes. And then I think the next step is logistics. It becomes a logistics game much more than a marketing game. I think like, the marketing game will get you started, but will allow you to scale for a, to a very like high degree is going to be your operational skills and like logistics and understanding like how to how to play like that that game because you know the marketing is fun and everything and all, but you know if you don't have the the actual operations down like you know Amazon does like with the with the warehouse and the the partnerships and everything that they get packaged in front of you in two days for free. Um, then yeah, then he's just, I think the marketing can only take you so far before like you need, really need to get your ops dialed in. Yeah. At the end of the day, no matter how good your marketing is, if you can't get the product into the hands of the customer, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> doesn't um, really which I think there's, exactly. there's somewhat of like a culture aspect to that too. Cause like you said, a lot of the Argentinian market is, is a good example. Cause I've seen this in other markets too, where they're not used to just clicking a button online and the product showing up in the mail. They're and like paying online, right? They're they're used to like delivering or you know communicating with the merchant through WhatsApp or you know through text or Facebook Messenger or whatever. We've seen that in the Philippines too, where a lot of merchants literally like by message, customer support agent will process a transaction on Facebook Messenger based off of whatever the customer saw, you know, the product the customer saw in the ad. And so obviously that's very different. Like we don't we very rarely deal with that in North America. So that is also a factor in, in learning an international market and then being able to deliver your product to the customer in that international market too. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Cool. So what would you say is like with Bruna now, you know, we're scaling like crazy, you know, the, the numbers are really nuts. What's the biggest challenge for the brand right now? I think is, uh, is the ops at this point, right? Is, uh, making sure that you can scale with the supplier. Bruna is becoming one of the main partners for all these, uh, um, all these suppliers. So um, I think like that's also like um, one of the risks that needs to be evaluated as you scale is like, can your supplier keep up with the rate at which you're growing? Because if you have a, a supplier bottleneck, that's going to be a, a, quite a big issue, right? Like what you got to find a whole new supplier that's going to be able to get you like exactly what you're selling your customers or what have worked in the past. So um, 
yeah, for Bruno, right now, we're not really going to scale that much. I got a baby on the way, which I'm super excited about. And uh, uh, so Juliana is pregnant. She's actually finishing up university right now and running a, a six-figure Z-com. So her hands are 100% like full. So <laughs> what we're going to do now, <laughs> she, she's crushing it. So, like super proud of her, that what she's doing. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to maintain the business as is, making sure like the clients are happy, continue like to get... Uh, the same sales that you know we're getting consistently and uh, perhaps like once we have like more clarity like on the family situation like making sure like you know we our attention is really focused on that at the moment then it's like okay what do we want to do here i think one of the things man that i've learned to understand over the years is that um, growing for the sake of growth um is not at least in my experience is not that uh helpful like there's there should be a reason of why you want to grow right it's like i want to grow because the, i have an xyz goal for me to be achieved and it's like okay like let's make sure like your business aligns with like other goals you might have but if the goal for example for juliana is to build an income business that allows her to live like a happy lifestyle doing something that she loves it's kind of intuitive to like, you know, to, to go and do something like add more work, add more support tickets, hiring, firing, logistical issues to get to where, like to get to a goal that it's just like growth for growth. It, because she already is getting like what she really wants to get out of the business. So um, right now, like the business is doing well in the future. If she really wants to scale this into like a huge brand, then I'll, I'll help her. But I think like, She's happy like how it's growing or the size that it is, and she's gonna she's gonna keep it that way. Dave, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know we've talked about this a lot, where it's like you don't want to just grow for the sake of growing, and you want to have a purpose and a, a very well intentioned vision for not only yourself but the business that you're building. It's such an interesting thing that he said there, like growth for growth. Um, I, I think there's so many factors that go into that because, you know, someone as a founder, um, you know, if your business is successful, I think most people, I mean, what do they say? Like in America, it's like, you know, beyond like 70,000 a year, the incremental happiness that you get is just like almost negligible, right? So a decently successful business, you don't really need much to like for the person that's in charge, like to be okay. But then the next level of that is like, you know, empowering others to allow this to be their vehicle to create something amazing for themselves. Um, and then, I, I, yeah, I think the the next level that end, ends up happening, it's like it was growth for growth at one point to hit your own goal, but then it becomes growth so other people can hit their goals and you can create almost like learning how to take the business. And it's like, it's no longer you, it's us, right? And allowing this to be this cool vehicle for everybody else and try to create something amazing. And that involves, you know, transformation uh, of many individuals, including the founder. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just interesting to hear those words come out of your mouth and hear where she's at. But I mean, it's six-figure e-com business, especially with the kind of margins you guys are ripping over there. It sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she's happy. And I agree. I agree with you, man. It's like, if you have the vision of like, you know, build also like, 
having a team and the team is pushing you to like making this something bigger and then it's like you have other factors as well so i guess like there are a lot of variables in play and everybody like builds a business for different reasons i've been into like growth for growth for a very long time and uh, um i'm at a point where i'm like also like evaluating aspects of my personal life and trying to understand like uh you know business i've done 18 hour work like work days like back to back like for for a few years and uh um, it was great like don't get me wrong i loved uh i love i wouldn't trade it for for anything but i'm at a point right now where it's like okay i want to structure my life in a way where it's like not only i'm working i want to do something that i'm i'm really passionate about and i want to be able to have additional time to like say like learn a third language like um you know, develop like additional skills that are outside of like just work for work, maybe like communication skills and that sort of stuff. So it's much, I think like it's much more like laser focused, like the role of the business um, and how it fits into your actual life instead of just like being just the business from the business itself. Yeah. And you know mm -hmm. what, man, baby Greco is going to really appreciate that mindset <laughs> growing up. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I didn't have my, both of my parents around me for when I was uh, like, you know, growing up. So I just want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So it's trying to structure everything in a way that allows that to happen. Yeah, totally. Really. I, I, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So uh, on that note, you know, we, we talked a lot about different things that I think relate to self-awareness here. What would you say is the most important personality trait or just characteristic of someone to be successful in e-com or just kind of like building a business around e-com? Um, I'd say, I'd say you like, you just got to know your numbers to really like make it work. Um, it would be, that would be like uh, your cost per acquisitions on the marketing side, you know, cost per acquisition, uh, CPM, top of the funnel metrics, uh, uh, bottom of the funnel metrics, like how much does it cost you, you know, to do like resales and like keeping people around for a long time. Um, and then on the operational side, logistics, like how much does it cost you to ship your product and, and kind of like making sure you have those numbers dialed. That way, when you're actually making a decision or taking action on your business, you're not doing it blindfolded. You're actually doing it with metrics that allow you to make your decision and make it like as accurate as you possibly can and, uh, um, and grow the business that way. So my advice would be like, just figure out your numbers. What does your cost per acquisition need to be for you to be profitable? And sometimes you do that process and it's like, oh, like it's, I need to have a $3 cost per acquisition to be profitable. It's like probably your model is off, right? That might come out like knowing your numbers might give you like some feedback on like some of the past decisions that you've made as well and make you like, you know, regulate uh, the business. So that would be my advice. Just know your numbers, marketing, operationals, like all around. Yeah, I, I, it's very true. And it's super on brand for you too. Cause I remember like, you know, a couple of years ago, we've been in, we were working together and there were so many times where like a client or a colleague or a partner or whatever it is, someone would come up and like object to something and you, you knew the numbers worked out in your mind. And I remember, I can still hear you saying it to this day. It's like, it's literally just math, like do the numbers. Right. And if the math works out, then you know, you're good to go with it. Right. And you know, a lot of the times people try and make decisions not based on numbers, which I agree there's a time for that, but most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, it's a, it's a data-driven decision or it should be. And people aren't doing it that way. And it's like, it's literally just math. Do the math. <laughs> Do the math. Yeah. The math, yeah. the beautiful thing about math is that 
if like it just doesn't lie it can be deceiving yes like you can see like numbers that mean one thing and you got to interpret the numbers but it just doesn't lie like that's yeah. numbers and, and it is what it is so yeah 100% agree with you man love it Cool. So as we begin to wrap up here, Alex, uh, one of the things we like to do uh, with all of our guests uh, towards the end is ask the same question. So I want to ask you if you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning and you know they help guide you and advise you throughout your day and your journey, uh, they can be alive or dead. Who would be in that room? That's a, that's a really interesting question, man. Um, well, um, Alex Hermosi would definitely be there. Uh, huge positive influence in my life. Worked, uh, I worked closely with him and it's been probably like I can attribute a lot of what I know about business and um, where I am today to, to following his, his teaching and everything. So definitely Alex Hermosi. I would have Layla as there because I think like um, she's another amazing human being. So Alex and Layla Hermosi, if you, you know, listening to this, you don't know who, who they are, like definitely like check them out. Um, I would have, uh, um, I would probably have uh, Marcus Aurelius um, as well. He was that? You know, a Roman. Marcus Aurelius. He is one of the Roman emperors. He was a Stoic and uh, um, had a really good like life philosophy on, uh, um, you know, focusing your mind on uh, the things that you can control, not the things that you can't control, uh, planning your day, like kind of like structuring your life in a way that, um, that you like. Um, and then, uh, um, I guess like the fourth and last one would be, um, a yogi, Sen Guru. I don't know if you guys have seen him on Instagram, like lately it was like the save soil movement. Um, like just really, really, um, awesome guy when it comes to spirituality and like kind of, um, making sure your life is well aligned. So that would be it. Yeah. Alex Hermosi, Leila Hermosi. Uh, Marcus Aurelius and uh, um, Sen Guru. Now, with your, I was with your background in finance. I was curious if you have anybody that you would throw in that room that's you know like a historically super successful investor, like macroeconomist. Like I know you used to be big in macroeconomics. Like, is there anything anybody in the finance world that you would throw in there? I didn't even think of that. Yeah, uh, on the finance side of things, probably like Paul Tudor Jones, um, Ray Dalio. Uh, George Soros, I'm th- I think kind of like, you know, uh, Stanley Drunkenmiller, um, mm-hmm. probably like um, throw uh, Paul Volcker in there, probably like the most savage Fed chairman ever been. Um, Andrew Jackson, the guy that wanted to kill the banks and went like, you know, like hated banks and just wanted like a, a gold back system and no credit systems at all. So there's a lot of people like, yeah, that would be like really, really interesting on them on the finance side as well. I think like to answer your question, it would probably be like Paul Tudor Jones, uh, market timing and trading, and then Ray Dalio on microeconomic cycles. Yeah. Yeah. Bright guys. Alex, I'm just curious because, you know, you've definitely traveled all over the place and you've, you've done business in the U S you've also lived internationally doing business in the U S and now you're living internationally doing business internationally. How is your perspective changed in any way in business due to the, like those that that journey has it yeah um business wise how is the traveling channel i think like what it does is uh, um it helped me like really understand like uh, uh different cultures and communication and what people value and 
I think one of the things that it reaffirmed the whole traveling is that um, human psychology is fairly simple and it works across cultures. Um, you know, like a good offer on the business side, when I think of the business side, I just think on like the offer side and marketing and business, uh, and, you know, client acquisition and that sort of stuff. And persuasion and influence is like how you get people to take an action that you want them to take that it's in their best interest. Um, it comes down to like, yeah, human psychology is actually like very similar across the board, right? It's like scarcity works for a person in the US and it works for somebody in Argentina, right? Like like working like that sort of like psychological influence. Um, and so does uh, um, urgency and like all the basics framework that we use to actually like, in, like attract people to an offer, to a business, um, they're international. So if there's one thing that, like traveling and helping you like business-wise is probably understanding that human psychology is like the really the foundations. Maybe there's like, you know, like different things uh, like on second, third, fourth levels, whatever that like do change, but that at the foundational level, human psychology is very similar across the board. Cool. Yeah. Fascinating to think yeah. about, right? If you're, if you could speak in every language, right? That means you, you can apply the same principles to every, every culture that you come across doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just fascinating because it's like humans, no matter what, are still very predictable. <laughs> very much so, man. Yeah. It's like, and once you've been in the space, like the all three of us, you know, we're not vets, but we're not, this is not our first rodeo. Um, so when you've been in the space long enough, you kind of like, you know, you get what we're saying is that like, there, there's, there's a pattern, there's a path where you can like, you can replicate and the results, you know, within a degree of error, there's usually like the same, right? So um, yeah, definitely. Totally agree. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, uh, for the audience listening, where can they, you know, learn from you to check you out, learn about Bruna and all the other stuff you got going on. Um, they can hit me up on Instagram. It's Alex Fox Grieco. Um, yeah, and that's, if you want to like, uh, hit me up, that's a good place. And yeah, if you want to have a chat, um, hit me up and there's, if there's alignment, I'm happy to like, you know, um, have a chat. Yeah. Cool. All right, Alex, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, good luck on everything. Congrats again on Juliana being pregnant and future dad, uh, super excited for you, man. And, uh, I'm excited for this audio that episode to go live. <laughs> Awesome, guys. Well, thank you for uh, having this chat together and best of luck. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex.